tonight for college Bible study, uh, we're going to be in John 14. So if you guys want to go ahead and turn to John 14, uh, that's where we're going to be in our Bible study uh, tonight. And I'm, I'm thinking over the future weeks, we may add on to this and add a few different elements to what we're doing. But for tonight, we're going to keep it simple. And we're just going to do a Bible study in John 14. And hopefully it'll be encouraging and challenging uh, to you. Okay, so go ahead and turn to John 14. Uh, we don't have a fancy overlay of text or anything. We're going straight old school. I got my phone on a tripod. That's the most fancy thing we're doing right now. Uh, so go ahead and turn to John 14. Uh, and while you're going there, uh, I just want to say that this has to be the weirdest Easter uh, ever <laughs> in the history of uh, at least our lifetime. Uh, I know normally we're ramping up for lots of stuff this time of the year for outreach, things like that. But this year we're kind of all going to be huddled up at home. Uh, but I do want to say that regardless of how Easter is playing out in terms of service, it doesn't mean that we don't uh, want to go all in on celebrating the truth of Easter and the truth of the resurrection. You know, more than ever before, uh, we need the reality of the resurrection, the truth of it in our lives and to be reminded of it. So uh, I want to encourage you guys, like we said, go all in with Easter this year. Uh, we need it probably more, uh, more than ever. Uh, not that we don't ever need the resurrection, uh, but you know what I mean. But um, as we go into John 14 tonight, um, just want to kind of share with you guys a little bit of our life right now and kind of why we're even in this text tonight. Because for us, you know that just a few weeks ago we had our son Jude, and he's doing great. His mom's doing great. Um, but our time at the hospital was kind of intense. We were there for five days. It was a pretty stressful time. And just from my you know, side of things, not that I was doing nearly as much as Haley. Uh, but for my side of things, honestly, it was a very nerve-wracking time, and it was a really anxious time. I struggled with a lot of anxiety uh, during our time in the hospital. And this passage in John 14 actually was a great comfort to me during this time. And uh, man, it, the, the Lord brought me to this text and just did a big work in my soul through John 14. So I think it's going to be very helpful um, for not just me to go through this again, but also for all of us, because I think it's a very relevant text for the time uh, and place we are in the world, and also even in uh, regards to Easter, because this passage is taking place in the timeline of the Bible during Holy Week, in the week leading up to Christ's burial, or uh, betrayal, death, and resurrection. So I think it's very appropriate for us. So uh, if you guys have a Bible, let's go and look at John 14. And I've kind of given you the reason we're in it, uh, but I do think it's going to be a big encouragement and challenge to us tonight. So, but what we're doing looking at John 14 is this, that we're looking at a conversation uh, that Jesus is having with his disciples on the night before he's crucified, on the, the very night he's betrayed. And just to give you a context of what's going on in this passage, uh, this is the night before he's crucified, the night he's betrayed, but this is the night and really the, the season that Jesus is doing his last preparations for himself and his last preparations for his disciples before uh, all this stuff goes down. And really, John 13 through 17, many scholars call it uh, the upper room discourse because this is all taking place in an upper room before Jesus and the disciples go out and he's betrayed by Judas and everything begins to go from there. And so it's a very powerful part of the Bible. I'd love to do a whole series on it at some point. But really what Jesus is doing here is he's giving some final instructions to his closest friends before he goes to the cross, which means that these words are packed with some incredible truths that we need to hear. And honestly, I just would encourage you over the next week or two to read John 13 through 17. I mean, there's some amazing stuff in here. 
But tonight we're going to be in uh, chapter 14, and we're going to be starting at the beginning and kind of going through at least verses 1 through 14, and then hop into the end a little bit. So we good? Haley's my MC for tonight. Yeah. We, we good? Okay, cool. All right, y'all. Okay, awesome. Let, let's do this. Um, let's get into John 14. Uh, we're going to start just in verse uh, 1, okay? Uh, and what Jesus gives us right here at the beginning is the alternative to worry, the alternative to having our hearts being troubled. He says here in verse 1, he says, he's talking to his disciples. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So just stop, stop there for a second. So think about this. The disciples, think about their context. They themselves had a lot of reasons to be troubled at the time Jesus says this to them. You know, Jesus has just told them that he's going to be betrayed by one of them and that he's about to die and leave them. And think about it. The disciples have spent the past three years with Jesus, doing life, doing ministry. They expected him to be the kind of Messiah that would overthrow the Roman government, would set up a new kingdom of peace, of Jewish prosperity. And yet now he's saying he's going to be betrayed and die and leave them. You know, think about the trouble and the brokenheartedness that would bring uh, to them. But the truth is this, is that more than even that, these words are incredibly powerful because think about Jesus speaking them. Don't just think about the perspective of the disciples receiving them, but think about Jesus saying them. Jesus himself is the one who's really about to go through trouble. He's about to be betrayed, tortured, beat, crucified, on the cross, take on the wrath of God. He's the one that's really about to go through trouble, yet here he is comforting his disciples before this happens. I think right from the beginning, we see the loving kindness and we see the care that Jesus has for his disciples that in his very time of distress, he's worrying about them and not worrying about himself. That's a powerful thing even here. But even for us, you know, we honestly, we know we have lots of things that we could be troubled about too, that the world's crazy right now. We don't need to make a list of all the things that we could be troubled about. But instead, we need to see what Jesus says to us here. And we need to see what Jesus says is the alternative to worry, that what should we be doing instead of having our hearts be troubled? He says that we should be believing in God, that we should be believing in Christ. And I love the way Jesus says this because in the way he says it, we show how first he identifies himself as God and as being sent by God, but also he says to believe. And what does it mean to believe? You know, well, to believe means a lot more than simply, you know, intellectually agreeing that God exists and that he can take care of you. And to believe is to trust that God is working all things for his glory and for our ultimate good. You know, to believe is to put your full hope in God's wisdom, in God's plans, and in God's promises for you. So for us, instead of having our hearts full of trouble and worrying, instead, we should put our full hope and trust in God's plan and God's promises for us. That we shouldn't put our hope in maybe everything in this world suddenly getting better overnight. You know, we shouldn't put our hope in our own ability to just emotionally deal with this on our own. You know, we shouldn't try to distract ourselves and numb our pain, numb our fear and disappointment. But instead, we should hope in Christ who has taken on our suffering on himself and has promised to turn our grief into joy. That's what it means to believe in God. It means that we look in the circumstances around us and we don't put our hope in the circumstances that's changing, but we put our hope in the God who's over the circumstances that is working all things out for a glorious and good end. 
That's what it means to hope in Him. That's the first thing we see. Second thing we see in this passage is why we can believe. So keep on reading with me. Uh, Why can we not be troubled when we believe in Jesus? We'll look at verses 2 through 4 for that answer. Jesus says this. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Now, these verses have been really kind of misinterpreted before to say that, you know, when we get to heaven, we're all going to have like a mansion and walk streets of gold and all this kind of stuff. You know, but Jesus' point here is not that. His point is that if we're His, then He has prepared a place for us in eternity. That really there's room for everyone who believes in Christ in eternity. And why would Jesus talk about this in this moment? It seems kind of random that He would bring this idea of eternity and heaven in in the midst of their hearts being troubled. Well, the reason he brings this in is because Jesus is showing his disciples, including us, that no matter what trouble we face in the world, it's nothing compared to the glory we have waiting for us in eternity. Think about the way Paul says it in Romans 8, Romans 8.18. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that it is to be revealed to us. You know, really the truth is this, is that the greater trouble we face, the greater opportunity we have to grow our appetite for eternity. That trouble is a way to grow our appetite for Christ and for being with Him. Because one day, there's going to be no more sickness. There's going to be no more death. There's going to be no more coronavirus. There's going to be no more loneliness. There's going to be no more disappointment and broken dreams. That won't exist anymore. That one day, like Christ reminds us in this text, one day He's going to come again to take us home into His perfect kingdom of love and peace. And in the meantime, all the troubles that we experience simply remind us that this world is not our home. It's a reminder of that. It means that suffering is a window for us to see what's most important in life and for us to be recalibrated, to find our joy and hope in Christ. And really suffering even is a way for us to identify idols in our lives. That really, as things are stripped away from us, we begin to realize what we're worshiping and what we're idolizing, and God can even use that to recalibrate us. So suffering is a window in that way as well. That's the second thing we see. Third thing we see in this text is who we're believing in. If we're believing in Christ, well, who exactly is He? Well, He tells us in this text. So keep on reading with me in the next verses. It says this, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. All right, so Thomas asks the obvious question. You know, how do we know the way to where Christ is going? And, and Jesus' response is a very famous response. He says, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you know much about the Bible, you know that this is one of Christ's seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. You know, and this is Jesus even connecting us back to the book of Exodus, where Moses reveals, uh, or sorry, where God reveals himself to Moses and says that his name is I am. Moses asks, Well, when I go to Pharaoh, who should I say sent me? And God says, Well, tell him, I am sent you. And then Jesus in the Gospel of John and in his life and ministry, he identifies himself as the I am that was talking to Moses, therefore identifying himself as God in human form. And that's what he's stating even here. 
But what does it mean then for Jesus to be the way, the truth, and the life? We could do a whole sermon on that. We won't. Um, but how is Jesus the way? Let's just think about that for a second. How is he the way to the Father? Well, Jesus is the way to the Father because it's only through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ that we can have a relationship with God. He's the only way to God because our sin has separated us so far from God to where only Jesus can bring us back to Him. And Jesus is the only way to the Father. There's no other way to be saved. There's no other religion, no other good works, uh, no church attendance, no amount of Bible reading. Nothing can restore our relationship to God. Only Jesus, only faith in Him can do that. So that's how He's the way. Well, how is He the truth? Okay, well, to answer that, we probably should look at the next section because Jesus impacts it Himself. Look at verses 8 through 11 with me. Verses 8 through 11 of John 14. It says, Philip said to them, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. All right, so stop there. So Philip asks the natural question then of Jesus, you know, if you really are the way to the Father, then how about you show us the Father? It's a very understandable question. But Jesus responds with the astounding truth that if, if you've seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. Which means this, that Jesus is the full revelation of the truth of who God is to us. So if we want to know the truth of who God is, we have to look to Jesus. We got to look at how Jesus lived, how he loved, what he prioritized, the way he related to people. And in the life of Jesus, we see the character of God. We see God revealed to us. And if we want to know the truth, even of what we were made for, then we have to look to Jesus as well. That we see that we were created to know Jesus. We were created to make him known to other people. That that's the truth of what we exist for. That's the truth of the meaning of life is that we're made to know God and make Him known, to know Christ and make Him known. So Christ is even the truth in that. He's the ultimate reason that we exist. But also, how is Jesus the life? Honestly, you know, Jesus being the life is what Easter is all about. You know, Jesus is the life because He's the only place where real and eternal life is found. And in the resurrection, Jesus defeated death and opened the door. Oops, I totally just closed my app with my notes. Wow. It's live TV, y'all. <laughs> Hold on. I'm opening it up again. Wow. I had a great statement there. Okay. All right. We're good. Sorry. In the resurrection, he defeated death and opened the door for us to have real and eternal life. And also, so obviously we know that it's part of the Easter. Sorry. Um, but eternal life, we also got to remember, it's not just something that happens when we, we die and go to heaven. That eternal life happens the moment that we put our faith in Jesus. It's not just when we die. It happens now. So Jesus is the life in that sense, that He's what we're made to live for, that He is the life and He's our life eternally and forever. All right, fourth thing we see is how this belief then we have in Christ should lead us to live. Look at verses 12 through 14. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whoever you, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. All right, so here in these verses, Jesus is showing us that times of trouble 
are really opportunities for us to draw near to God and also to be used by Him to do even greater things than Jesus did. But we got to ask, what does it mean to do greater things than Jesus did? Well, it definitely doesn't mean we do more miracles than He did. It doesn't mean that we preach better than Jesus did. It doesn't mean we offer some kind of better salvation than Jesus did, for sure. But simply, you know, to do greater things than Jesus simply means that through the power of the Spirit, we can do greater quantities of things than Jesus did. Because Christ was just one person. But the church filled by the Spirit is mobilized to be millions, you know, billions of people who can be used by God to do great things, to, lift up, to share the Gospels, to glorify God, all things like that. So what that means is this, is that times of trouble, and really any time, are times of opportunity for Christians to be mobilized to lift up the name of Jesus. But like we see in the text here, we have to do all of these things in a posture of prayer in the name of Jesus, asking Him to do what He wants. You know, we talked about this a few weeks ago in our prayer series. But what does it mean to ask in Jesus' name? You know, what does it mean that, you know, if we ever pray something and tack Jesus' name on it, you know, in Christ's name, I want a new car, He's going to give it to us. You know, God is not a cosmic vending machine that we put that in there and He gives us whatever we want. You know, God loves us way too much to give us whatever we want. He's a good Father who knows what we need. He doesn't just give us whatever we ask. You know, but... What does it mean to ask in Jesus' name? Well, it really means to ask in the authority of Jesus. And really it means to ask according to the will of Jesus and according to the will of God. So to ask in Jesus' name is to ask God in a way that trusts that ultimately the greatest thing we need is not just Him to remove any suffering from our life. It's not for us to be safe, healthy, happy, things like that. But it's for us to really find our fullness of joy in Christ, to find our hope in God, and that we pray according to His will and His authority, believing that He has the best for us planned out, that He's working all things to a good and glorious end, and that we can trust Him. And that we want to see Him do great things, even if those great things mean sometimes that we have to die to ourselves, or even physically die, for Him to be glorified. That we lay our lives down for Him in that way. You know, so in our praying and our asking in Christ's name, if that means God answers our prayers, are great. But if not, in the end, we know we have something far greater than whatever we're praying for, if it's just simply physical needs. That we have the love and joy of God in Christ. And that we are confident that we're in Christ. So therefore, God is guiding our lives to be, you know, the, the, to magnify Him in the, in the greatest way He can. And so, that's kind of the big idea of what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Last thing is this, and we'll wrap up. Uh, look at, down at verses 27 through 29. Uh, we're going to skip down there because in, those, in that next section, Jesus goes on to teach about the Holy Spirit. But for sake of time, we're not going to be in that passage tonight. But I kind of want to look at one more thing Jesus says about how, what we need to remember in times of trouble. Okay? Look at verses 27 through 29. Jesus says this. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm still, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Now, we're not going to unpack everything in those verses tonight, but I want to focus on those first few sentences. I think they're very relevant to us. Notice how Jesus says that He's left us His peace. Not like the world, but His peace. So what is that peace? What kind of peace are we talking about? Sometimes we define peace as absence of conflict. But really, biblically, that's not what peace is. In the Bible, peace is not absence of conflict. Peace is way more about wholeness, about being complete, about being whole. 
In, in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the word peace is shalom. In the New Testament, it's the word irene. And it's this idea that peace is not about, you know, just there not being anything wrong in life. It's not, it's not that there's no conflict. But instead, peace is about not falling apart when things around you are going wrong. Peace is about having a wholeness and a foundation in life, a completeness in you, even when you're going through hard times. Because the peace of Christ is definitely not the world's peace. Because at best, the world's peace is temporary and it's superficial, right? You know, even if the virus was gone tomorrow, we still live in a world full of suffering. And honestly, we're all still going to die one day. So if, if our peace is simply based on circumstances and the stability of our life, that's here today, gone tomorrow. It's very fleeting. But having the peace of Christ means that we can endure trouble without falling apart. That we can be whole. That we can be, you know, built on a firm foundation. We can have an inner confidence. We can be anchored because our peace is not based on our circumstances. Our peace is based on Christ. It's a peace that is based on His plan, His promises, His work in our lives. You know, the peace of Christ gives us peace that sustains us even in the present. But honestly, the peace of Christ is a peace that isn't rooted just in the here and now. The peace of Christ is rooted in the future because it's a peace that points us to the future of when Christ returns. When Christ returns and makes all things new, then the whole world will be at peace. Because right now the whole world is not at peace, right? It's anything but that. But when Christ returns and makes all things new, the whole world will be whole. It will be complete and perfect the way God designed it to be forever, and then it will be at peace. And because of that future coming peace, we can have peace now and trust God now. And the peace of God can guard us from being troubled and from being afraid, like Jesus says here. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't feel troubled sometimes. It doesn't mean that we don't feel afraid sometimes. Those are natural. But we also know that our feelings don't define us, that our feelings are not reality. Uh, but that many times they're just natural reactions to uh, circumstances in life. But as Christians, it means that we don't have to be defined by our feelings, that we don't have to give in to those things. We don't have to live lives of fear, but we can live lives of peace. I see tons of people right now that are living in fear, that are giving in to fear and trouble. You know, And I get it, but if you're a Christian, you don't have to live that way. Now, it's very understandable to be you know, not at peace in some ways right now, but the peace of Christ is available to you if you're a Christian. So I want to encourage you that if you're feeling kind of anxious and not at peace right now, then go to Jesus with those things. Don't, don't lean into that spirit of fear, but lean into the spirit of power, love, and self-control that you have in Christ. Lean into that because it's available to you. So honestly, the, the worst thing that can happen to you in life is you die. But even uh, in terms of eternity, that's a victory. Because like Paul says, to live, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So even the wor- worst thing for us in life is really a gain for us ultimately. And if that's true, then what do we have to fear? What do we have to be afraid of if, if our God is on our side throughout all of eternity? So as we close, I want to ask you this. Do you know Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life? You know, do you have the peace of Christ? And if you don't, I'd love to talk to you more about that. If you're a Christian, I want to encourage you to go to God with your fears. Go to God with your lack of peace and let Him provide that to you. But maybe through all this and maybe through through these circumstances right now, you're realizing that maybe you're not really a Christian. Maybe you don't have a real relationship with God. You haven't come to God uh, through Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. We would love to talk to you more about that and help you nail that down, help you know that you have eternal life with God in Christ. This may even be the season that God draws you through that. So we'd love to talk to you more about that. You can send me a message, send me a text through social media, whatever. We'd love to talk to you about it. 
Um, but we want you to know the peace of Christ. We want you to know Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. So don't let, you know, tonight, don't let these next few weeks go by without drawing near to God and figuring that out and letting Him work in your heart. Okay? But with that, uh, we're going to close up about to pray for us. Uh, but then in just a few minutes, we're going to have a Zoom hangout. Um, and we're going to talk more about this. We have a few questions we can chat about, and we're going to pray for each other. Um, I'm going to put the meeting ID and the password in our group me and I remind in just a moment. So give me just a few minutes to get that set up and sent out, and then we'll get it to you. And we'd love to hang out with you for a few minutes um, here tonight on College Bible Study Online. Okay, let me pray for you, and then um, we'll be good. All right, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we can have peace in Christ, that we can have hope that in the midst of a world full of trouble, that we can believe in you, we can trust in you, we can hope in you, knowing that walking with you does not promise us uh, absence of conflict, the absence of trouble and worry. Uh, it, doesn't, it, doesn't shelter, it doesn't guard us from suffering in life, but it does give us that anchor uh, to weather the storms of life. It gives us that anchor to cling to in Christ as we go through suffering. And it allows us to be salt and light in the world, to shine and show the hope we have in Jesus to those around us during a really anxious and scared and afraid time. So I pray for these students that you would uh, draw them close to you, that you would help them to experience the peace of Christ in this time. I pray that you would help them during this time more than ever before to find deep intimacy with you, and that maybe during this season that you would expose idols in their life, help them to knock those things out of the way, and more than ever before cling to you, um, to deepen their relationship with you, to where when we get through this, whatever's on the next side of it, Lord, uh, that they'll have such a healthy and strong relationship with you, Lord, that they'll go out and just be such a powerful witness for you and whatever you call them to, wherever you place them next. But Lord, we ask for your wisdom. We pray for those that are sick right now that you would heal them. We pray for protection from the virus. Pray for those that are fighting uh, um, the virus right now. Pray for those that are saving lives through um, medical work. We pray that you would empower them, protect them, use them, Lord. We pray that you would use this whole situation as a way to lift up yourself to glorify yourself and to draw people to faith. Lord, we love you. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.